Nino Cooney released January 16th, 2020. Uh, the first of the uh, 2020 Netflix video game cinematic universe. <laughs> 2020 crisis since COVID-19 and the murder hornets. We started with this. We started with Nino Cooney, the movie. And then 2020 only went up from there. <laughs> I'm Dylan Vento. <laughs> I'm Nick Nundahl. And I'm COVID-19's Joe Wetmore. And this is Attract Mode. But really, how would you guys feel about this movie? It, I mean, okay, so it's not worse than coronavirus, but eh. it, it is not better. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, there's elements that I like in this far more than some of the movies I liked the least so far that we've watched, but it is one of the movies I've liked the least of all the movies we've watched. Yes, I, I think that's a very fair assessment. It's, I need like a Charlie Day, like... Red strings and note cards path for that series well, of sentences you just it, said. No, I, I followed it. It's basically this has a lot of great components, but as a whole, it is less than the sum of its parts because they took all of those components and just didn't do anything super fun or exciting or grand with them. So, illustrations for the backdrops look gorgeous. The concept of this fantasy world is fun and and creates a lot of potential. But then we spend 90% of the movie with some very unexciting, very bland characters who have minimal character traits uh, just talking. I mean, that's really most of the movie is is and, and like, it, how dare this movie be filled with talking? Well, no, like you could make a movie that paces that way and fills a lot of character exploration. But I don't really think we get that in this either. These guys are so the two main protagonists are so bland and. And uh, they have they do have character arcs, but they're very shallow characters. Right. With with very like skin deep goals um, or 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 vices or however you want to look, kind of look at it. Uh, and it's also like really hammered in on the nose. Like you, you can tell exactly how the movie's going to play out based on how transparent the characters kind of virtues and vices are. Uh, which is not the worst thing to happen in anime. That happens often in anime. But because on top of that, they're not particularly like fun characters, it, it really hurts. And 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 especially, I know Nick's played Nino Kuni. I've played it. A bit. Uh, not Dylan, all of it. But. You haven't played it at all, right? I have not played uh, Nino Kuni. Um, I am a little familiar with the intro to the second game, mm -hmm. which I don't... The first game is called Wrath of the White Witch, right? Wait, wait no. We found out that what everyone thinks is the first game is in fact not the first game. There was like a DS game. Right. But the, the first major game in the series, right? My, the point that I was trying to bring up is that the characters, even like the background characters in the video game tend to have pretty vibrant, fun personalities. Like it's fun to bump into random NPCs in that world and just be like, Oh, here's another component of this world. And I feel like that doesn't happen very often in this. Like it, it's, there's, there's not, 
there's no one in this movie that I would come close to being like, that's my favorite character. Yeah. How do you have a whole movie with no favorites? Yeah. Like no one really lands in an exciting way. I don't remember hardly any of the names except for the fact that I've taken some notes, right? Like, and, and there's one character whose name is you and that's so (laughs) punnable that like you have to remember it because of that. (laughs) Oh, it's you, (laughs) you know, and that kind of stuff. It's me. Yeah. It, it's so just everything is forgettable. And it's a problem uh, in an otherwise like very high potential film. I had high hopes uh, knowing the little that I knew about the second game, which I will reveal once we get a little deeper into the movie, Ooh. because because what happens makes more sense now, now hmm. that I've, I've witnessed this film. But yeah, so we so we should clarify just a little bit because we talked about the animation. They when Nino Kuni came out, it was like called like a Studio Ghibli film made video game right like i don't know did the studio itself have play a yeah. hand in the they animated okay. cutscenes, which i guess informs like the rest of the art design of that game which is which is cool right I, and it looks great yeah and then this movie feel i feel like does a, a good job imitating that style i feel like it's 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 actually kind of watered down a little bit it doesn't like yeah. evoke ghibli enough to me like i kind of wish they were just like this is an opportunity for another studio to completely copy Ghibli. I wish they had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like imitation. You can sense that there's something not quite as, um, uh, I don't know. There's, there's a je ne sais quoi about it, <laughs> you know, you're, that's lacking. Uh, it is like, there's, there's a certain softness to Ghibli that this doesn't have. Cause they use a lot of like CG stand-ins for like environments and cars and things like that, that, are just shortcuts and they, they, the characters feel harder edged somehow. Um, and, uh, and I think that's all those, like it's kind of the uncanny Valley kind of situation, right? Like it's so close to Ghibli, but the differences make it radically different. So it definitely, it doesn't feel right. Um, not to say it's not a mostly pretty visual, like it stands out on its own or it stands on its own rather as its own kind of visual. And it works, the, like I said the earlier, the backdrops are gorgeous. So like when you get to see like the city as they're panning through at a later point in the movie, this this fantasy city for Nino Kuni, um, it's awesome. Like I love the designs and shapes in the city. I love the way it looks. I want to see more of that place. They just don't tell a good story in it. <laughs> even even the backdrops in the real world are actually pretty nice, and that's probably the backdrops feel the closest to Studio Ghibli. Like, because they get these very like detailed, lush environments that feel like a really living world. Um, but there's moments, and we'll we'll get to it. So we should probably jump into the plot soon. But there's moments where it feels like they put so much more attention to the backdrops and made a lot of the like up close details really bad in some cases. But uh, or or like the important things, things that are happening on screen, often look kind of kind of janky. Um, and and yeah, Nick mentioned that they do some CG stuff sometimes, and occasionally they like CG track through like a CG version of the backgrounds, and that looks really really funky. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you guys ready to get get into this? If we have to, yeah, let's tear this movie apart. All right, so we start off with a elderly man on the roof of what I can only assume is a mental institution. <laughs> A hospital of some kind. Yes. Uh, 
uh, hospice care, possibly. Um, he is waving his cane at the sky and his like uh, the assigned nurse is yelling at him to get down from I think he's standing on like the AC unit or something. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm going to the other world and I'm casting a spell. Right. And that's our introduction to <laughs> this grand universe. Which is fine. Like, I'm, I'm fine with seeing a crazy person trying. Because in a world where there is another world with magic and we kind of know that going in, like, there would be people who are just seen as crazy if, if it's not common knowledge. So, fine start. The setup that explains that there is a mundane world that people don't know this stuff is there. Fine with all of that. It, it feels fine. It, it doesn't It doesn't really set up too much, I guess, because there's, there's a weird comment that she um the nurse makes to him he's like i'm i'm going to create a, a gateway to another world and she's like oh like gate ball and like what does that mean what is gate ball what could that possibly be in reference to Look. but i think it's just a setup for a cutaway <laughs> he like calls her an idiot and it cuts away to kids playing basketball playing gate at, ball I, well that's what i was wondering is that supposed to be gate ball and we just didn't know but we're there now we're we're away from that scene and we're in this new scene with these two kids uh, one of them is playing. One of them is is on the sidelines in a wheelchair, and he's watching. And then afterwards, they have they have a very uh, open friendship, I guess, because as soon as they uh, they leave, and the guy's talking about how good he is, the kid in the wheelchair is like, "Yeah, but you were rushing. You were or you weren't fast enough, or something." I can't remember how he criticizes him, but it does seem like a kind of shitty <laughs> thing to say to a friend who's just won a basketball game or a gate ball game. Well, apparently he's supposed to be like his, like he's his gate ball coach or like he's his gate ball, like analyst. Like yeah. he's, he is like the, was it the, the money ball guy, the Brad Pitt. Yeah. Right. And I was thinking of the other guy. Who's, who's the other one? Not Josh Gad. I always get him mixed up with Josh. Jonah Gad. Hill. Jonah Hill. Yeah. Jonah Hill, Josh Gad, same person. Um, <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, so I think he's like supposed to be his his best friend, but also his his like kind yeah. of uh, courtside analyst. It it does set up the basic dynamic that um, Har- it's Haru is the one who's a little bit hot headed. He's kind of the yeah. the sports ball, go get him. I'm a I'm a rude dude kind of guy. And you, who's in the wheelchair, is is the more thoughtful kind of uh, you know right uh, approach, which uh, makes sense. Yeah, and that's a classic sort of dynamic for two characters to have. One is action, one is thought, and you can play different scenes with them, show different strengths. Fine, it's a it's a common trope, but it's totally fine. We're back to Timmy and Tommy, or not Timmy and Tommy, <laughs> Jimmy and Timmy. Who the fuck were the dragon, double dragon guys? I don't know. I, I can only, uh, Billy and Jimmy. That's it. Billy yeah. and Jimmy? Okay. Yeah. But things get awkward when you put a girl in between them, because Haru has a girlfriend who likes sour oranges. However, That's her only you, character trait. Yeah, it is her only character. Yeah, it's, she, like, that's, she likes sour oranges. Uh, you also very clearly has a bit of a Me? crush. You. Yeah, Me. you. You clearly you. has a crush. <laughs> <laughs> Grammar. Grammar's not 100% there, Nick. Me, I'm not English so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we, we have a small scene where it's re- revealed that Yaharu has this girlfriend and very clearly you likes her and... Uh, uh, and surely that's not going to lead to any more drama in the rest of the film. That's fine. I do want to call out this one 
quote in this scene where they're talking about the basketball and whatnot and Haru says something to the effect of, if I get any better at basketball, I'm going to have even more fangirls that I'm going to have to keep away. And then... That's the moment of introduction. Yeah, <laughs> Kochina. And <laughs> she's like, what are you guys talking about? And then you, being the worst best friend ever, yeah. <laughs> goes, oh, we were just talking about Har- all of Haru's uh, fangirls. And she, then she says, oh, you going to cheat on me again? Which, again. Yeah. What? There's like, this has happened. This is established canon in like, that moment. Is, between gate ball and then like high school infidelity, like what is the, the canon this movie is building for us? Well, yeah. a canon of unlikability so far. <laughs> yeah. These characters out the gate are just like, there's not much more to them other than their dynamic. Uh, there's there's not there's not any like interesting like quirks or traits or like fun like relatable things to them. Yeah, unless unless wheelchair is a quirk in this world. <laughs> uh, uh-uh. Um, but the 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 cherry on top of the shit Sunday is that they all go like, hey, let's go get crepes. Which okay, I can I can be down for a yeah. crepe. Because they have a sour orange flavor that's the best. Ooh. Um, and they walk to where the crepery is. And wouldn't you know it, it's up this uh, unaccessible, tall, narrow staircase. And instead of being accommodating to their wheelchair-bound friend and saying, let's go somewhere else, they say, later, you... <laughs> yeah. We're going to get well, I crepes. Think, I think he's the first to like turn away. Yeah, and they're, he's they're self-selecting like, in sure? this, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he, he just immediately self sacrifices and ready is ready to go. And he's like, I'm used to it, which is so crappy. Like, your friends should absolutely be like, I don't know. We'll get crepes another time. Let's go do something together. We made a plan to do something together. Good friends wouldn't do this, but we've already established these are not good friends. <laughs> uh, while all of this is happening, though, they are being followed by this man that I can only describe as a cyber goth. I, I think he's Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Oh, oh, well, he does have like the black hoodie with like the a spider on the back insignia. Yeah, um, but he's wearing like a breathing mask. He has his own PPE with him, which is a good, good, good. Very important for 2020. Yep. He he looks really out of place in this movie. He also has like a purple vape smoke around him. <laughs> so <laughs> he's just this always is one vaping. of my favorite things about this guy because we 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 see him I, I can't remember if it was before or after we see his vape smoke, but um the girl, uh sour orange girl is walking through an alley and it's you know does this like horror shot of purple haze kind of sneaking up on her and yeah. then she turns around and it retracts burner, or whatever. Burner. And it's just such a silly like like it doesn't look good. The fog looks so yeah. so so cheesy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's like a CG effect on animation. Yeah. Like blew a huge, like sour grape flavored vape cloud and then sucked <laughs> it back up. Yum. <laughs> Adam. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so Kotina has after they get their crepes, uh, you uh, went back to his house. He lives with his sister, Saki, who runs a flower shop below their mm-hmm. apartment um he gets a little self he like goes immediately to bed like no dinner no nothing it's, just yeah, like it's <laughs> it's a little sad <laughs> i mean i think that's the intent is to make it look like a sad scene like this is all he's got right he he can't walk because he is in a, he's wheelchair bound so he has to like climb into bed and lift each one of his legs in and there's this long shot of that and then he just lays down in his clothes and stares at the ceiling 
Uh, and I, I think it's meant to invoke the loneliness of that situation. So sure. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. So we cut back to Kotsuna and Haru finishing, uh, uh, leaving after eating their delicious sour orange, uh, crepes. They then uh, split off and go their separate ways to go home. This is when the giant vape cloud intercedes on Kotuna as she's like walking down like a, a desolate alleyway and a uh, cyber goth guy just approaches her and she starts freaking out and calls tries calling Haru back but Haru is distracted by uh apparently he's shopping for her for like her birthday or something i completely forgot the scene but i reread up on it he was he was he was window shopping and so he couldn't pick up the phone right it's important material you know material <laughs> gain is is the most important you know aspect of love exactly uh, but but because Haru is unavailable she calls you N- not right. you her, her other boyfriend yeah she calls yeah. not 911 or whatever the equivalent is i guess in japan <laughs> hugh action wheels himself over to save sour orange girl that's uh, uh, saki drives him over to where she told him uh she is meanwhile when he like he gets out of the van he's like sis call call haru and see if you can reach him and then she's able to reach him um, so he starts running over, but you has already gotten there and, uh, cyber goth guy now has a sick ass knife. Cause of course he does. Well, I mean, they're invoking fantasy elements. And so you should have a big ritualistic fantasy dagger. If you're going to be the cultist guy wearing the hoodie in this world. So yeah. Uh, and he, he g- grabs her and manages to pull it around in front of her and spear her into the gut while you is just left there to, you know, scream at it i guess basically um unable to help and there's there's like that purple smoke magical effect that happens when he stabs her right cyber goth guy runs away you rolls up to kochina as she's like collapsing she must have been falling really slow because he like he closes (laughs) the distance pretty quickly and then he catches her by like leaping out of his wheelchair and is able to catch her as she's falling to the ground and then they're both on the ground kind of in a very uh exposed position and then that's when haru rolls up and he's like what the fuck are you doing it is actually really weird i mean like she's on the ground stabbed and he's like obviously cradling a a, a stabbed person and one of the first things the other guy says is hey how come you're holding her like that (laughs) that's my girl but also i i apologize if we if we if we if we somebody already said it but my one of my favorite lines in this whole movie is after he jumps and catches her and lands on the ground with her with the knife in her belly hugh says to her are you okay? <laughs> she's she's unconscious pretty much, and she's bleeding profusely from her gut. Still stabbed in the ab- abdomen. Like knife is still there. Brilliant localization. Yeah, I don't. It's I don't think localization is entirely the fault of this though, because the lead writer is a writer of JRPGs, and I don't think JRPG writing translates as directly to film writing. You know, like it's just cheesy lines of dialogue work a little bit better in a text box in a game i feel like when you're taking bite-sized munches that you can kind of parse at your own pace uh, yeah but here where the the lines feel like deliveries of bad jrpg dialogue it it it, it also really kind of drains energy out of the conversation a lot of times that's one i still have to hope was just a mistranslation though because that feels so particularly wrong to act like while someone is dying in your arms with a giant blade in their gut are you okay? But Terry did the exact same thing in that Fatal Fury movie. Yeah, but that's, I mean, the same 
rules apply, right? This could still be mistranslation. But I just assume like that's just a that's just an anime thing. Like it, it, it could be as simple as the similarity between you're gonna be okay and are you going to be okay or are you okay, right? Like, and I'm not speaking it. from any kind of place of knowledge on this. I have no idea how that translates, but those kinds of easy garblings of of mistranslation could happen. And I just hope that's what happened here. I get that. Um, so Haru does the sensible thing and decides to carry his unconscious bleeding girlfriend to the hospital instead of listening yeah. to his best friend suggest that, hey, maybe we should just call an ambulance. And he's right. like, nope, got a runner. Emergency services exist for a reason. <laughs> And then Please. he decides also to play Frogger with her <laughs> as he's <laughs> as he's running her to the hospital and uh, run across the busiest fucking street. And uh, that leads us to a pretty big moment where he's about to get hit by a truck. And then Hugh comes in and w- wheelchair tackles them out of the way of the truck. <laughs> yeah, again, he does a lot of good wheelchair tackles in this movie. Um, and when Demolishes that happens, his wheelchair, though, like it just yeah. shatters his wheelchair. But there is a, a light that forms around them. And then all of a sudden, we're in an entirely different place. Different oh. sky, different city, different <gasps> cobbles under their feet. So the first thing we see in this in this new world is these two giant, like, Komodo dragons that are being, like, used as, like, beasts of burden. They're, like, dragging, like, hay carts, right? Mm-hmm. And they zoom by them in the same way that the two trucks were, like, close in proximity to them in in the other world is and i know we're kind of gonna kind of get into implications of this later but like is there a greater implication of like everything happens i i think it's there's there is a an amount of mirroring but it is not one to one you know yeah i think that was particularly for transition uh yeah I mean, obviously, we're going to get very soon to uh, why there's a plot. There's, a, there's an important mirroring element in the plot. But I think actions themselves or like the locations of things are not strictly relevant uh, or, or relative. Right. So we are now in the, the, the world of Nino Kuni. Does this world have a name? Nino Kuni is the world. And then oh. there's there's a name for the city. And I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it was something um, generic like sanctuary berg or something <laughs> yes that's like that. this, from now on <laughs> they're in sanctuary berg but uh so now they're trying to figure and also kochina is not with them so haru is like still has his like arms upright as if he's carrying a body there is no body um they've changed clothes they are yeah. just completely have no idea what's going on but there's another big difference because right. they both stand up and what? guess what? You can walk. I can walk? You use can. It's never going to get old, is it? It's yeah. it, no. <laughs> it got old like in the first two minutes of this podcast, but we're going to keep going with it. Um, they go very quickly from, oh my God, our girlfriend was just stabbed to, oh my God, you can walk. This is the best day of our lives. And yeah, I mean, I realize that teleporting between worlds might be a jarring event uh, mentally. Yeah. But it just is a really like, like tonally... It's a really weird transition from like low moment to high moment for one character. Right. Uh, it, you could have you could have worked it into that like in the same sentence he says this and then that, right? Like oh, I'm processing all of it at once and it's it's frantic, but instead they take a really long beat for yeah, this is great. 
and then and then moments later they're looking at stuff and they're like huh this is kind of like how things were at home but slightly different oh no what about katara (laughs) katara (laughs) or what's her name what's isn't it katara sour orange girl whatever it's all close (laughs) enough um the fire nation took Kojina. Yeah, yeah yeah but it, it, it like in addition to the backgrounds here because they start walking around the city and they eventually re- remember that Kojina, Kojina sour orange girl is missing um, yeah. but while they're walking around they do like there's a ton of really cool character designs in the background yeah fantastic um, lots of like anthropomorphic style things which is a big part of the games as well um and Your giant uh, fire breather yeah like a really weird kind of almost dbz ish kind of look to that guy uh, mm-hmm. the fire breathing guy it's just like it's eccentric and weird and fun and also the most distinct part of this fantasy world is you know how how much variety the background has yeah i love the there's weird like there's weird like tower shapes where they're like star points buildings like you know like the building spreads out into different branches and stuff and it's just like a very non-mundane arch arch uh, architecture and, and i really like that i, I like this whole setup this is great this like prepares me for after a, a way too long in the mundane normal world i was like okay now we're in for fantasy for the rest of the movie there's also just to, just a just a, a remark on one more weird difference they get into a bar and there's a dancer and she kind of reminds me of the kangaroo people from tank girl she's yeah. got like really big, big ears wide ears yeah <laughs> yeah huge and ears I think she's actually got two sets of ears. She's got like regular like elf Whoa. style ears and then like like really big kangaroo flappy ears. Um, and it, it's just a weird – it gets you in the mood for like, all right, cool. We're in the weird part of the movie. Just gets you in the mood for ears. Oh, it gets real weird from here too because they decide to sit down and have a conversation with a dog man. Well, well, hold on. But one of my favorite lines here, before they even like sit down with that guy, is that they they walk into this pub, like still like grappling with the fact that they are. And I think you you straight up just says, "Oh, I think we're in a different dimension." Like he just like yeah, just says it, just says it. Like fucking like the Dino yeah. Hatton people in Super Mario Brothers, just like alternate dimension. Meanwhile, and- the other guy is like. No, this is an amusement park, and those are animatronics. <laughs> like I f- refuse to believe in magic. So we have we have Luigi, Mario, and Johnny Cage paired together. <laughs> yeah. Um. But but so they walk into this pub because they like still think Cochina is is with them in this in this Fuck, other world. I gotta I gotta I gotta pause you for a moment. You just gave me what if in the nineties? <laughs> what if it had culminated in a shared cinematic universe between all the bad like video game movie adaptions like? The, you admit the, the it's Mario. bad. You admit that Mortal Kombat is bad. Of course, but I, it's a bad movie that I love. That's what lips I've always, to God's ears. I've, I've always said that it's a good bad movie. Mm. Um, I say it's a really good movie. Uh, but man, <laughs> but just imagine. I like the Mario Bros. movie too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do too. That's that's a crossover that I want in my life. Yeah, oh. it would be fantastic. We need to get all of those actors. I'm sure John Leguizamo's up for it. I'm sure Raul Julia is up for it. <laughs> oh. Mm. Also, Bob Hoskins is dead too. Shit. So and Dennis Hopper. We can just yeah. we can just CG their likenesses now. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, um. So, uh, but so they walk into this pub to still try to look for Kotona, and the first thing, the first thing that Haru says is that he's like, "We should get drunk." I think Haru might be a bad boyfriend. 
Like he might be a bad human being. Person, yes, exactly, yes. I, I can't remember if anything of consequence comes out of the conversation with the dog, but they do see a poster on the wall of yeah. the princess of this land. Well, I was just going to bring up the dog's bizarre uh, perviness for this part of the movie. Yeah. Like, they, they weirdly, he's like, so you're looking for a girl. Does she have a nice bum? And she's and 17. He, <laughs> right, exactly. He learns that she's 17. You think he's going to be like, oh, no, not for me. And then he's like, well, 17's pretty good. <laughs> it's like, uh, dude, what? She said, <laughs> I guess he says, he says, right for the picking. You know, yeah. In dog ugh. years, it, 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 like for a dog, that's pretty old. Yeah, she's so. like 70. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, it's very, like some old. very uncomfortable. So they, they see a poster, and wouldn't you know it, the princess of this land looks an awful lot like sour orange, orange girl, Kotuna. And so they're like, oh, shit, we got we to gotta go, we gotta go to that castle and meet this princess. Uh, and that's, that's what they do. They go to the castle. I also like how there's, there's no questioning there of like, oh, she's, wait, why is she a princess? Did she like get here before us? Or like, it's just like, oh, she's there. And also yeah, her name is I, Astrid. It feels like this movie wanted to tell a bigger story, but it didn't have the time. So it just hit, but then it wastes so much time. Yeah. It's very poorly organized, I guess is really like, this is the time they could have taken a moment to figure out what this world is and, and question some things, but instead they're just like, nope, got to move to the next scene. We're on a path. Let's go. It's almost like someone who's used to writing 40 hour games was forced <laughs> to write an hour and a half movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, they go, so they go to the castle. They first find out that they're not allowed in because they're just peasants. Um, and they refer to themselves as such. She's like, who are you? And we're like, um, townsfolk A and B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's going to get you like a VIP access to, to this, you know monarchal castle um but they sneak in uh inside some pots and the pots are taken conveniently to the bed chambers of the princess super useful i'm very okay with that that's that's the kind of plot contrivance i can get behind because sure. it's so absurd it's like all right fine <laughs> you got me <laughs> wraps back around but the, but the princess scene is where things start to get a little wacky i mean for for one thing right before that we're kind of introduced to, to some other like b tier b players like the king um the king's like two like loyal soldiers and one of their advisors um there's not too much to say about their characters although they do have some plot relevance i guess so to say that we have uh the king his brawny henchman um his like female commander lady um who well we'll get into that later and then well i mean i think it's worth pointing out she looks bizarrely like the the sister is what we're calling yeah. her character for uh yeah saki you. yeah yeah well her, right his roommate saki is her name or whatever in the, the other world yeah um and then the the last character they introduce in this in the like right before things take off is um an advisor wearing glasses who <laughs> who also like, looks 17 <laughs> he does look 17 he just he he he's so apparently the villain that when he came up in the movie i said that guy's a villain right uh, and, and it's not that he looks menacing or anything like that. He just looks so out of place. Uh, and and also, he's like the vizier. Like, of course, he's the bad guy because right. he's like the royal so advisor. Tropey. Like, I've seen Aladdin. Yeah. But also, he looks like a Fire Emblem character. <laughs> like, he's got, like, long, like, kind of wizardy robes. He looks like you're the player character in the last 3DS Fire Emblem. Meanwhile, 
uh, the brawny commander guy, uh, the brawny like like henchman, looks like a He Man character. <laughs> like he's got like big big muscles and big blonde hair and uh-huh. I don't know like I think because of how thick his proportions are, the colors on him look a lot more broad and solid than a lot of the other characters, which makes him look kind of more like a Western character. He um, definitely does, yeah. And the blonde hair and everything too, it plays in. But yeah, um, but this this gets us to a scene where the, the the two boys Hugh and Haru sneak out of their vases, and uh, they 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 get to see a brief scene. The king has a problem with the princess. Uh, the princess, <laughs> she won't get a job. She won't go. Yeah, the, she she won't get a job because she's in a coma, and that <laughs> won't do. These lazy she's millennials, coma entitlement. If they're seventeen and twenty twenty, wouldn't they be zillennials? I guess, or hmm. or just Generation Z in general. It's fucking Zoomers on the goddamn TikTok, <laughs> yeah, fantasy TikTok. But I know, Dylan, I, you mentioned to me that this, this next part rubbed you the wrong way. I don't know if you want to mention it, why yeah, it rubbed you the wrong way. So, it's a little out of place. So so they have these, so so this, so this the princess is suffering from like this corruption or this poison. You see it like stretching across her abdomen conveniently uh, near the same spot that Cochina got stabbed. But it's like this purple like mass. It's like, you know, veiny. I know, Nick, you weren't a fan of this special effect um yeah it's the same thing as the smoke for the other guy right. it just feels like cg put, like dropped on top of an animation cell as opposed to integrated with it right it doesn't feel like it's there it feels like it's laid over top it, well right. it definitely is because when they when they i mean spoilers they're going to cure it in a few moments but when it goes away it just they just drop the alpha onto of it until it's gone <laughs> yeah, it right, literally it just, just fades out like there's no like ruffling ooh. of the, the the animated clothes or anything like that it's just yeah it's just a, it literally just an overlay you yeah. see someone with a in, in the editing room with an opacity slider and they're just slowly shifting it to the yeah, left exactly um, but so so the princess is dying from from this corruption and they don't know how to to cure it and so they hire these like um foreign wizards that uh walk in um and they're they they have green skin and they kind of look like you know generic kind of like fantasy goblins but like more like humanoid upright and they also like wear turbans and have like aladdin type vests and like you know pants. pants and whatever and like I just got like super like orientalist vibes off of them, and they're like, here are the foreign mystics that are gonna you know cure cure the the white princess with our foreign medicines, and then so they do like a dance. But she's not a white princess; she'd be Japanese, right? It gets I mean, she, it, yeah. it gets screwy. Uh, it's it's weird because you know, uh, I mean, th- this is very clearly a Western um, like Nino Kuni's westernized like, very yeah. westernized place. They still have eastern names though but i think either way the idea that they come from this you know to, to either the west or the far east the middle east has a kind of distinct cultural thing yeah, going certainly. on and the fact that these green-skinned outsiders come in and do their their dance it just it i, I think it's mainly to me that they're green-skinned and kind of almost gobliny that makes it feel a little weird like they have such a direct kind of uh middle eastern aesthetic yeah but um i i think there's something though that like everything in nino kuni has a real world uh cultural parallel there's lots of like i mean there's there's people who are speaking with like welsh accents and people with scottish accents irish accents like it it is a like let's take cultures and accentuate them 
whether that's good or bad is entirely up to the viewer, but that is the, the thing that the series does. You I, know? I, I think other, I mean, like, you know, I don't remember anything particularly Middle Eastern in the games necessarily, but in Zelda, for instance, the Grudo are very clearly Arabic inspired, but they right. don't feel Arabic inspired in a way that's like, we're doing anything offensive with this. It's just, we're using the aesthetic and city uh, of thieves. It's a very Arabian nights, uh, mm. kind of, you know, uh, all those people who, uh, except that the games often upturn that because the, the, the Hylians are always, that, that's the way the Hylians feel in Hyrule castle. But then you go right. and meet them and actually they're a more complex society. And Ganondorf is kind of a, a figure that has often corrupted these people, but link ends up becoming a respected warrior within our community or right. link, uh, you know, comes to know their leaders, things like that, depending on the game. Uh, and so I feel like, uh, on a, on a surface level before you know them there we see we hear the cliches about where they're what they are um but then they're rounded out over time um and but that this requires deeper investigation which this yeah. doesn't have time for deeper investigation you I only guess. get the shallow scene where these guys appear, yeah. and then the, yeah. when they're when their ritual dancing ritual fails they <laughs> are bubbled away and evaporated yeah. and we don't know what happens to them until later it does that's i think the biggest offense is that they feel totally pointless they don't add anything to the movie uh, and so they're just this bad stereotype and then they're gone. And then somebody was like, ha, that'll be funny. Like that is their purpose in the movie. That seems offensive, I guess. And I, 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 I do want to stick on this point for a sec. Cause I think the older I get, the more body horror just like really gets to me. And like, this is like light fantasy body horror, but like they try to do this exorcism to cure the princess. And then the like, purple contagion just kind of like brings out its vape cloud vines and like inserts itself into the mystics noses and then inflates <laughs> their bodies and then they explode and die the worst part about their explosion is like they, they their bellies inflate and stuff but also their eyes bug out yeah uh, of the, like their sockets which is pretty gross to look at i'm not i'm not squeamish but it was a pretty brutal thing to happen probably the most brutal thing in this movie and they don't literally explode on the spot they they, they they expand until they vanish, which uh, I guess it's not a big spoiler to say because we're going to get to it later. It's a minor thing. It's revealed that they just get killed in the real world when they teleport over, basically. Right? Like, don't they get hit by cars or something? I don't remember, but yeah, sounds, they, yeah. they do. Do we want to do we want to go over that that whole linchpin of this or no? I think we'll we move there, forward. I think. Yeah, I mean, we said what we said. All right, that's fine. Um, but so, so this sets us up with a position though, where, um, they're like, oh no, everything we've tried has failed to save this princess. And <laughs> they also and rush everyone out. Like they rush the king out and they're like, you need to get the fuck out of here. There is like poison and, and inflation gas that's going to yeah. kill you. Like, please get the fuck out of this room. Which I guess that's the story beat for those guys. It's like both at it's dangerous and it clears the room. Yeah. So, uh, okay. And, and, I guess there's and something that leaves the boys in the room with the princess and, uh, Hugh runs up and says, oh, shit, uh, this is this, this fucking dagger here, dude. I'm going to pull it out. And he pulls out the dagger. And uh, Haru, uh, they, they get caught doing this. And for a moment, it seems like people are like, oh, shit, what's, who are these kids doing here? They're trying to fuck up with the princess. Uh, but then dagger pull comes out. Princess is healed. Uh, I think specifically you pulls the dagger, right? Like Haru tries yeah. but can't do anything right. and you is able to. I, I don't think Haru tries, but you pushes Haru out of the way, which gets yeah. the attention of the guards in the first place. Right. Gotcha. Um, and also that they're only they can see it. To everyone else, this yeah. just looks like a purple mass on her body. Because but Haru and you can see the dagger. 
because this dagger is from the other world, right? This is uh, the, and I guess we should go ahead and explain it now. She was stabbed in the other it. world. Yeah. She, yeah. The, the princess is literally the other side of um, sour orange girl. And she yeah. has a reflexive wound from being stabbed in the other world. Right. Um, and so uh, be, then being able to see this, they're able to pull it out. The dagger now appears. There's a really funny moment uh, that I caught rewatching it where the dagger lands in the ground and literally the dagger isn't animated. It just is translated down from the top of the screen into <laughs> the ground. It's awful. Just <laughs> falls flat into the ground. Uh, but um, the dagger then vanishes, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and so there's a there's some like uncertainty as to what these boys did and some people are a little untrustworthy of them but there's a few characters that are like oh shit you did it you done saved our princess you did it you did it Um, (laughs) and you would think that the plot is going to kick off from here uh, it doesn't. You would think. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, you'd there's be like, a big oh, man, slump. The adventure. <laughs> there's a big slump here that I'm like looking at my notes and like, wow, I did not like, I did not record a lot. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the movie kind of just falls out. Uh, like, there, there's lots of character talk. There's, there's lots of moments between the princess Astrid and you. And uh, how Hamaru is there? <laughs> I keep I keep wanting to say Hamaru forever. Yeah. Uh, but like it, it really isn't. It, it's just skippable. It's it's so unimportant in the grand scheme. Let let's um, let's hit let's hit these. Uh, so where I want to get to, where mm-hmm. I want to get to, is the exhibition of swordplay, which is a very it's a very hot scene. Oh, okay. I, I can I can summarize a few. Well, th- there's one major beat before that, but like no, no, no. Yeah, like I think there are a couple of like at least beats that need to be pointed out. So like let's let's get through them. So right afterwards, they you know they 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 get rewarded for for saving the princess, and they're talking about it in a bar, and they're talking about like what what are the circumstances of this world we're in. Nothing of consequence is really said here. Um, and at some point, um, Hugh manages to go and meet do you keep princess. saying hugh it keeps sounding like you on my end I, i'm saying hugh so that when i say you it doesn't doesn't uh, uh doesn't, uh, okay overlap too weirdly i'm glad um, 40 minutes into this i know that now <laughs> yeah so so basically hugh goes to stalk the princess and watch her through the windows i, I think he's just going under the pal i'm not sure where he's going either way he ends no, up he, looking did, at he, did, he did start he, yeah he starts with i don't know there, there's stalking like some mild stalking there's peeping tomming yeah um, but the turns out the princess likes that, and they go into the woods together, uh, <laughs> and she does a belly dance for him in the water. Uh, yeah. I'm not well, entirely the sure. They get on the magical flying plane that takes them to the the fairy fountain. I can yeah. show you the world. <laughs> that yeah, it is kind of that kind of scene. Uh, is there significance to this ritual she does in the water? Like it's, she's, it's she healing. In the water she, and, yeah, she heals her scar from the. Right. poison dagger okay it's her it's her plastic surgery it's like i can't i'm a princess i can't go around with yeah. with, with this mark on me it's it, it's one of those things where if she were a little bit older as a character this is kind of a, a risque presented scene <laughs> a little she, bit then that dog would be out if if yeah. she were any older <laughs> but it's it's like it's 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 a one of the better animated scenes in the movie arguably uh but and and, and like the color grading here is really cool and everything like that but uh it's uh i don't know it, it, it like on top of the fact that it's kind of this weird like post inciting incident slump that this whole entire sequence feels really slow and weird and yes. also we're watching a 17 year old dance sensually in the water um which it, 
as Dylan gets older and resents body <laughs> horror, I also get older and resent uh, movies trying to present teens as a uh, uh, sexual commodities. So, um, but also like another uncomfortable part of the scene is that it's being shown that Hugh is. Uh, Are you saying Q? I'm saying Q, Q to okay. uh, from Star Trek. From, yeah, yeah. Well, or James Bond. Oh, okay. Um, but it's 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 showing here that Hugh is attracted to uh, Princess Astrid, and it's it's kind of it's weird. It's weird in this very in this multi dimensionality way of like I really like my friend back home, but I can't be with her because my best friend is with her. So I'll so, settle for this stranger who looks like her. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the clone. This is okay. Yeah. I do think when they, you... They do if, have a connection. It, when, sure. when you end up in another world, it, when reality breaks open like this, uh, you know, it's hard to be like, hmm, you know, like, should I, should I, should I, should I not, you know, take these open, open doors uh, should I stay or should I go? It, it is mildly weird, but I don't hate it as a as a plot element. You know, like yeah. oh man, you know the, they this... also have explained that they do have the one defining character trait, which is that they both love sour oranges. Can't get enough. So, so they must be the same person, like right? They must have enough similarity yeah. if they both like that one thing. Mm. That's all. That's all you need in a girl is a girl who likes sour oranges what you need that's true it's love. worth mentioning at this point uh, one of the biggest points in this movie uh, the, for me in the games at least in what wrath of the way which is which is the only one i've played the familiars are pretty important they're like core yes. to the gameplay but also core to the story um we've seen some familiars at this point they like there's a, a familiar that assists the princess Mm-hmm. But they're not important like they could just be removed basically yeah. um, they're there i think because they feel like they have to be right. Like somebody was like, Oh, we made this whole thing and we didn't put any familiars in. We better sprinkle some here and there. They really are like absent in a noticeable way, which is disappointing. So, so uh, after we, after we have this, this scene with uh, the water dance and um, the sour orange romance connection, um, which would be a pretty good name for a band. I think sour orange <laughs> romance connection. Um, <laughs> There's a scene where the king uh, meets with his um, definitely a villain advisor, and yep. they're talking about the war that's going on uh, because somebody's invading. Uh, it's really generic, you know, evil bad guy coming in stuff. I, I don't think too much of consequences set up other than just the fact that there's a big bad guy out there. Well, well also the, the advisor says like those boys, <laughs> they're suspicious. Mm-mm, them boys. Yeah, I don't know about them boys. Perhaps we should make them fight to prove that they're good boys maybe we a, should have these possibly bad boys have an exhibition of sword play yeah bad boys bad boys what you gonna do you gonna put them in an arena and kill them with swords cross swords yep, yep. um yeah so basically they they hold a what what appears to be a a grand tournament in celebration of prince astrid's uh recovery yes but which they start without her even being there. <laughs> well, I mean, guest of honor, it's optional. Yeah. You have to arrive fashionably late to your own recovery party. Right. Um, and so the 
Haru and you uh, walk through the main gates of this Coliseum and are surprised to learn that they are like the central uh, combatants of this of this contest in like a two on like two dozen fight something like that against thick gladiatorial men yeah exactly fully armed soldiers who are like rippling with muscles uh yeah absolutely insane it's it's a weird it's having a gladiatorial scene it's it feels like if you can't go hyper violent with it or or at least just brutal with it it's weird to have gladiating scenes uh I guess they have dulled swords in this because they do hit each other from time to time. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, the action I would describe as okay at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's better than a lot of the animated fights we've seen in some of these movies, but um, not like not special, I feel like. Yeah, I concur. It, it is like I don't remember any major beats from the fight, like any particularly cool things. It's just, it's, they, just like, it's a scene. Didn't they like show like their combat prowess? Like, didn't they like unlock a special move or something? Well, they fight together, and someone in the crowd comments, or someone maybe one of the advisors of the king or the like, the general guy perhaps. It's like they their their fighting style is so unusual because they're basically doing their basketball stuff together as like a fighting style, and it's like they fight as if they have one soul because they're they're so in sync with each other because. One has been fighting, or one has been playing basketball for years. The other has been watching them, and they have this kind of understanding of each other. So, meanwhile, I want to clarify this whole time. This whole time, Haru still thinks this is a dream. Yeah, he keeps saying that they have to wake up. Like none of this matters. It's all a dream, and that continues even past this. Like oh, that yeah. logic carries on for quite a while. Um, but yeah, he's the whole time arguing that this is not another world. It's just a shared dream that we have to wake up from. I, I am so bothered by anyone in fiction who's like, we're clearly both having the same dream. <laughs> How do you think fucking brains work, dude? <laughs> like, if, it's, if this is a magical psychic connection that we're sharing, even then it's special. So don't just call it a dream. <laughs> like, it's, it's also difficult to... Uh, to, to to write any character who's resistant to what's happening and like like it you can you those can be good characters but it's hard to make them entertaining when they're like right. uh, no 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 I, I don't accept what's happening uh, yeah. because that tends to make them passive or less caring or whatever uh, or, and they or don't stupid do they come off that. as completely sub intellectual because yeah they they refuse to believe what's right in front of them um but. So the, I mean, I don't know if you had anything else you want to say about the fight itself, Dylan. Well, but, just the the wrap up, of, if not anything else. Yeah, right, what ha- yeah. what the ultimate I mean, solution that, to this is? It turns out the boys are good enough to beat two dozen thick men. Yeah, um, and uh, they're 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 <laughs> kneeling before the king on the stairs, and I forget why, but they end up you know, like at spear point. Basically, something is said that's like, you know, you guys are actually bad dudes. You're bad corn pop. The, the advisor says that their fighting style is so unusual. They must have been trained outside of the kingdom and yeah, therefore foreign spies. Yes, exactly. They must be foreign spies. They're too good at fighting. They must be. They can't be from <laughs> we, around we, here. <laughs> we didn't train them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're held at spear point. They're being, they're, tied up and knelt before the before the king and between this whole arc of this this part of the the movie you comes to the realization that how they got here was because their life was 
put at risk. Like their life was in danger and only a life endangering event can teleport them into the other world. And right. Uh, <laughs> this is a hypothesis of his. Let's yeah. let's be clear. It's a really strong hypothesis to, to like jump to so quickly. It, like it's a jump. In fact, a leap of faith. One might yeah. say, because they because they see this giant uh, bowl of flame sitting behind the king in the you know the the grandstands, yeah, and so they go. We got to make a run for it to get back home, and so they both get up and they run towards the big bowl of flame and they jump into it and everyone's like, "Oh no, what are you doing?" And they go through the flame, not realizing that the other side of it. <laughs> Is not a wall, but just an opening that's a good 60 feet up in the air. So instead of potentially dying by being burnt to death, they both fall to their deaths. And halfway through their descent through the air, they blink out of existence. Right. And luckily, don't maintain that momentum when they teleport <laughs> back to the other world. and just end up creaming themselves against a wall or something. Okay, so here's a question about this moment. If it is the risk of death that makes you teleport, why is the spear tip to the throat not enough? Like, shouldn't it be like as soon as they go to jab them with the spear, they blink out? Or, or like, is their plan to get into fire and burn enough that they're nearly dead, <gasps> which would hurt a lot <laughs> before they teleport? What, I what are the rules and why did they make a decision on anything? My thinking is that the universe knew that they were going to block the spear attack. So it waited. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on. <laughs> well, that, it just doesn't count as a, as a yeah. life-endangering event. Very ridiculous. So, so it teleports them. It teleports mm -hmm. them away. Um, they are now back like on the street corner. Not in the middle of the street. They're in the street corner of whatever place they live in, Japan. Yeah. Um, not only that... <laughs> Uh, use wheelchair is completely intact. Yep, no problem. He's he's just sitting. I think right. He's not sitting on the ground. Or am I mistaken? Yeah, I'm pretty well, sure it, he has it. He has it in an immediate scene. Right. And I think they even recontextualize it by saying that the driver fell asleep at the wheel, leading the the bus to crash into a building. Which is also then they reveal the three dancers from the other kingdom. That they, they they show three people who died in the accident. And then you realize that their faces look like the, the dancers from the other world. Which is great um, memory on Yu's part, given that he saw them through a crack in the pot lid and probably not completely from the front. He recognized them from behind. <laughs> it's just in, in the obituary, it's just three butts. It's like these three men were fatally lost. If it seems like the plot was going to slump after uh, the princess was, was saved, boy, oh boy, does it slump even more here? Like the slowdown of getting back to the the real world in the middle of the movie is so rough um, as they're trying to like recognize what's going on. Well, they, I mean, they try to go back to their normal life and Haru still believes that everything was a dream despite the fact that it was a shared dream and they both had these experiences and they can both recollect these experiences and tell one another about them. Haru still believes it's a dream. So this whole thing about them being able to, to go back and forth because uh, when they put their lives at risk uh, is makes the beginning of the second game make way more sense to me because uh, knowing nothing about 
the greater franchise or anything. All I've seen is is the beginning cutscene of Nino Kuni Two, where you play as the president, I assume of the United States, a president. Right. You play as a head of state who is like driving across this bridge in a motorcade to some political function, and a nuclear bomb goes off in the city he's in, and then the mushroom cloud just encompasses the entire city including the bridge he's on <laughs> and then he wakes up in the nino kuni world with nothing but a glock oh he gets his gun in or a gun why does he have a gun in the first place i don't know maybe it's very ridiculous president's gotta carry i doubt that that's true uh but also i heard about this and i i honestly didn't believe it from the person who told me when i first <laughs> heard about it i was like mm, that can't that's a joke uh oh no, it's that's, real it's real yeah yeah i found out after the fact and hearing it again now what in the world like to take this, this whimsical young boys fantasy adventure game and be like and then the next one president with a gun <laughs> <laughs> it's such a strange choice i don't know we're gonna get what we want which is playing as a president with a gun yeah but so they get back home they're now home um there's also no clarification of like what the time difference is like did they like were they gone in the matter of seconds in the real world we just got a quick we just get a quick kind of um recontextualization that says oh there was a the accident that occurred with where the two boys would have been hit or not hit um a a driver fell asleep and hit the wall that driver also happens to have killed the three dancers from the other world um and then it kind of just kind of goes on from there um uh kotona doesn't seem to have any memory of you know getting stabbed or anything like that um, right so they're kind of flying along that said of course for you it's like for me he's kind of obsessed with trying to figure out what happened which leads him to go investigate the hospital where as a boy he talked to the character from the beginning of the movie the old man waving his his stick at the sky um because that old man used to tell you stories about going to the other world or whatever and so he's like oh shit i gotta go talk to that old man but then he goes there and the old man's not there and it's like ah oh, shit and uh also his nurse is like attendant is like ah shit i lost him again yeah <laughs> this keeps happening so kotina is is safe and sound but she starts missing school and you and uh haru uh get concerned so they go to meet up with her and she's like yeah i'll meet you like on the pier or something they meet not in her house and they find out that kotina is not dead was not stabbed was not fatally stabbed but she does have a malignant tumor mm-hmm. that is going to kill her in a matter of months. So they they using the what they knew from the old man, basically, you know, memories of use past. They've determined from this scene that because they saved the princess Astrid in the other world, this version of her, which is Katona, they they share the same. Uh, spirit the same connection they're linked because the old man has told him about that um they they've saved her in one world she must be dying in this world as a result which is really weird because it seems entirely contrary to everything that the nino kuni game sets up right well also i think it's wrong yeah it must be because you save someone in one world you actually save them in the other in the game so it it is maybe just a wrong assumption, but it's weird because they don't frame it 
as like this could be wrong they're like this is it and as an audience you're just all on the ride mm, i i so i thought that hugh was more resistant to the idea and that haru was like no this is the way it is um maybe because uh, i remember because i remember you wanting to go back and save the other princess or whatever um, and being like, no, it's, it can't work that way. Uh, somebody, cause, cause there's a moment where Hugh even says like, somebody told me that there's like terrible stakes or consequences or whatever to like traveling between worlds or whatever. And, and, and Har is like, well, well, maybe that's what they mean by a terrible, whatever, uh, at some point there's a d- disagreement on how it works between Haru and you, um, so it is set up that that might not be the way it actually is. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And that also uh, and is what it, drives... it builds further as it goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and then that, and that that that's like the main thing we get out of this kind of going back to the other world. Um, Kotona is sick, and Hugh and Haru kind of disagree on the idea of going back to the world. Haru is like, first of all, it's probably not real. We probably that's all probably that probably didn't happen. Which uh, obviously Haru is an idiot. Um, yes. <laughs> but uh, the, like. It's you is like no, we gotta go back, and obviously we know they're gonna go back, and I think that's pretty much the meat of. It takes a while to get through this second kind of slump of the movie, but that leads us to getting back, and I think you know the plot beats from here are pretty basic, and I can pretty much jam through if you want me to. Do Dylan. it. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really confused as to how they get back. So if you can help me out with that, so the, the uh, assassin guy comes back. Right, yeah, uh, and, and and this time actually they they end up going. It doesn't really matter in the long run, but they end up going to the sister because the sister is going to get killed for some reason. Or is that the second time? Is that the third time they go back? That yeah, might be the third I, time. I think that's the third time. There is this issue where I never understand, and I still don't after watching the movie. I don't understand the bad guy's plan at all. Mm-mm. Like, what is the point of traveling to another world to kill people? when you could just kill them in your world, if that's what you want as the ultimate goal, I, I really don't follow it. And maybe you well, can enlighten. Well, there's not a bunch of Royal guardsmen guarding this, you know, school but, student, but they still pull off plenty of stuff in that <laughs> other world where there are guards anyways. So, and here's what makes this, this assassination attempt extra stupid. They go after and attack the person who they know bounces between worlds. So the, you're right. The assassin does go after them here. He runs up to stab them, while they're while they're arguing on the beach or whatever, and that teleports them back to the other world. Right. So it's like <laughs> this pointless. scene had no stakes. <laughs> it's just an assassin jumping at someone who is going to teleport away, and it that happens a third time later. Yeah. So and and and, and uh, w- w- this kind of gets us to this place where the boys get separated now. Um, right. You ends up in the castle with the princess and all that, um, and Haru ends up going to the big bad guys camp, and they're Which- kind of. Now that you say that makes me realize that must have been the point. The bad guys wanted to get Haru into that, like you said, bad guys camp. Yeah. So it's not about killing them when the assassin comes back. It's about getting them back into that world so they can get him there. Possibly. Maybe. Must be. That's the only thing that makes sense. Otherwise, nothing makes sense. Yeah. I'll accept it. I'll accept <laughs> this. The, and from here out, it plays out pretty simply. They're, they're put in a position where um, Haru, you know, to prove himself, has to protect the princess. And the bad guy kind of leans in on, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you has to protect the princess. Yeah, I was going to say. And the bad guy leans in on Haru and says, oh, uh, your girlfriend's going to die unless we kill the princess in this world. Like he's saying, yeah. like, only one of them can survive. Just reinforcing that idea yeah. that Haru came up. That's, and that's why it feels like they must believe it, or at least Haru believes it somebody else is reinforcing it without having talked to them about it. How does he know they had that idea? 
maybe the assassin was stalking them. Yeah, this cyber uh, I mean, goth might have been was. listening in. Um, either way, Haru is pretty down with being a bad guy straight away, putting on black armor. Um, <laughs> well, like, I love it. He yeah. keeps saying, like, this is all just a dream, so it doesn't matter. Which, what the, if if that's the case, then why 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 are you so gung ho about killing the princess? Right. Like if right. it doesn't matter, then like your plan to execute the princess to save your girlfriend in the other world doesn't work. Yeah. So like pick a lane, dude. Yes. Haru, yeah, not smart boy. Um, but from here we do kind of run into uh, a, a battle where the bad guy comes in and invades the kingdom. It seems to be going in the bad guy's favor. Roughly. Um, they're, they're kind of closing in on the princess, but, uh, Haru and you meet each other on the battlefield. And we do have to, we have to include the line. Yes. yes. Is, <laughs> I, I, I have to, to, is it kill to protect the ones I love? I have that is so, the meaning of war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I, so the quote is: so it's a Haru on the battlefield, like killing faceless uh, uh, royal guardsmen, and he goes, "In order to protect those that I love, I have to take lives." That is the meaning of war. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> the delivery, so though. Cool. The delivery where he's just like, "That is the meaning of war." <laughs> it's so. It, it feels like something out of that really bad Mega Man 8 video game, like just the, the weird line reading. Or it feels like a quote you would hear out of Metal Gear Solid, right? Like, yeah, like yes. this, like, love, love on the battlefield. Love, right, exactly. It's like love and war, or like two sides of the same coin. And Except, like, you know, in Metal Gear, those cheesy lines work because the melodrama is also kind of good and the characters are kind of exciting. In this, it just comes across as like, you know, like anime melodrama versus you know uh it, well, it's that it's that kind of like it doesn't it doesn't it just feels goofy i guess it does Nick, were you about to say that metal, metal gear, gear is also anime very clearly yeah <laughs> thank yeah. you i i don't know there's a distinction for me between the kind of melodrama that metal gear is and the kind of melodrama I, I that like the average there anime is a is. difference but they're both anime. It's just tears right, of anime. You know? <laughs> I guess I'm just using anime as a bad descriptor here. Right. Uh, and I don't think uh, that's a, a necessarily fair. I think it uh, encompasses good and bad. A lot of bad. Fair but enough. But both. <laughs> but anyways, now that we know the meaning of war, our two boys fight. And, uh, you know, they're evenly matched. And they almost kill each other, which, of course teleports them back to the real world again and we're all very excited for them to be back in the real world and away from the drama and the action again yes, yes. Um, such a I bad to get back at, plot device at this point dylan fucking like told us like oh there's like 40 minutes left in the movie and <laughs> Joe I, nearly I wept so disappointed <laughs> to find this out it was like how is that possible oh god your time makes fools of us all joe yeah which I imagine if you're listening to this podcast and you've just heard that, you're like grabbing your face and just pulling your jaw down. Like, what? How is that possible? But so they're back in the real world. Um, the real world. They're back in Japan. Um, they decide that they have to find a way to get back. And they also know for some reason that Yu's sister is in trouble. Because, like we said before, Yu's sister in in the fantasy world is one of like the royal guards or like the the military commander, right, or captain of the guard, something like that. So yeah. they know that there's now a plot against their sister in the real world because it's going to kill her equivalent in in the in the Japanese world. 
or in the in, in Nino Kuni. Um so they they go to save the sister or to right intervene which then, which then evolves into a chase scene between them and like their cube car and <laughs> and the cyber goth which the cyber goth then tells us why his his he's wearing Miles Morales's hoodie is right. because he he transforms into a giant spider and chases them across the to city. their car eventually crashing into a river right at which point they, they teleport, teleport back. back again <laughs> Abandoning so the action the sister so there's I, it's an interesting thing i was watching a video essay recently and they talked about why rick and morty's plot structure really works because they have this um this constant cycle of taking something to the peak of its action and as soon as it's about to fall they switch to like a b plot or a c plot in the episode and they keep on cycling through that i feel like this takes everything right into the just before the peak of the action and then cuts to a low point instead of like instead of constantly bringing you to high points it's the exact opposite it's like oh things are getting too exciting better drop back to conversation mode and and it is like it is this repeated pattern throughout the film where now they are they they went straight from an action moment to into the king's chambers where they accuse uh, i guess you has had a revelation at this point that the actual person behind all of this is the advisor who we've all known from the beginning of the movie was a bad guy. And, <laughs> and the way he realizes it, uh, you says, you smell like that dagger. Oh, it's the smell. That's right. I can uh, smell the evil on you. And the princess is like, no, he's right. Magic does have a smell. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and then and then the advisor's like, ah, shit, that's true. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't so, deny it. He doesn't just say like, well, maybe we use the same aftershave. He's like, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> that's a, Jigs up. Better, but better. Like, also, they, it gets super confusing here because they, so they find out that, that the, the Royal Vizier is ultimately the one pulling all the strings, but not only is he that, it, he's pulling the strings that he is, he masked his identity as the guy that um, conscripted Haru to be on the bad guy team. Right. But also, but also, but also he's like the king's brother. Yeah. It is layers and layers of too much obfuscation that ultimately doesn't seem meaningful. Um, every every bad guy in the whole world is this one guy. Okay. And, and <laughs> it's, it's weird because that is, for the next like 20 minutes of the movie for this final sequence, it's going to be like, how can we have dramatic heel turns every few minutes, you know? God, um, yes. <laughs> so of course, you know, after his, all of his dramatic backstory reveals, which are utterly irrelevant to actually caring about the character or his motivations or whatever. Um, he, he wants to kill the princess to get her, to get, to get her good juice. He wants her, he wants her power. Uh, <laughs> her and good uh, juice. that's, that's sour orange juice. That's <laughs> sour <laughs> orange juice. <laughs> me. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously the boys uh so so at this point it seems like haru is going to be a good guy but then he then the 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 evil sorcerer is like uh 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 i got you got my mask on. you got my you're wearing my armor bro so this is kind of a cool idea he basically takes command of haru and using the armor and animates him to fight you um right yeah uh, so he, he so he like clicks a button or whatever however he activates the armor he activates the armor and it like 
he's already like old, almost fully enclosed in this like plate armor except for his face and then like a plate face guard just like shunks down mm-hmm. over top of him and he's holding it or and then it makes his body pull out the sword and he pulls out the sword and he's like holding it like in front of him and you can still tell that haru is like trying to like yeah, fight struggling back against against the uh the the control and at this point this is when you having stood next to haru this entire time turns looks at him and goes haru i think you're being manipulated yeah <laughs> <laughs> which this is why they pay you the big bucks you. right I, it, it was a moment that i thought was one of the better moments in the film but i did forget about that line uh <laughs> because boy oh boy you is just a master of pointing out the obvious um but they fight um eventually the mask gets knocked off haru is fine uh and they got to fight the villain who who reveals his big form right like, yeah it, uh, yeah it's fucking it's you know what this is like the fucking end of the digimon movie where it's just I, like it's three the stages in every jrpg though isn't it like there's always a weird like kind of pseudo gigger-esque alien form sure. that all anime villains turn into we also have some hero kind of transformations though, because I guess to summarize the plot beats here, um, the you gets wounded um, and somebody shows up to help him out. And uh, this is a big reveal for the movie. Kind of, even though the character is like only in a couple minutes previously, um, our friend, the old man comes back and Nick, would you like to t- tell what what's the deal? Well, the deal <laughs> It's it's not it's something that Joe and I immediately picked out like early on. We're like, huh, his head is really weird, and he looks exactly like Oliver, the main character that you play as in the Wrath of the White Witch Nino Kuni game. And then in this moment, when he kind of transforms or tra- transfers into this other world, he's wearing Oliver's old outfit. And yeah, it's like there. tunic and cape. Yeah. So it is. It is the character from that first game, now a very old man. And I, that is like the coolest thing in this movie that is also delivered in like the ist way, you know, yeah. like yeah. It, it's so nothing, but it, it's like, it's fan servicey, I guess. And that feels good in a way. The movie didn't earn it or deserve yes. it. it. Like, because they, if they had spent more time making this old man, a character that was really connected to you, they suggested it when they learned, we learned that you used to talk to this old guy, but it was only in flashbacks. Yeah. Um, so we never felt like a, a special relationship or the old man never like judged you harshly or anything like that. Or like there wasn't any, like it was no just deep mentoring relationship. It was just, I told him a couple weird stories. Yeah. yeah it was, it was I just will remember fans... you for the rest of my life. Old man. <laughs> it's, it's the, like the worst way you can describe this, but also a way that is utterly true is it's deus ex machina by way of fan service. Yes. Which yeah. is like, you know, two pretty horrible sins for like a, 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 a pretty, essential you know plot point i think Um, there's also something weird in that like i accept oliver's weird blocky head shape because he's a child in you know kuni wrath of the white witch (laughs) but he never grew out of it right he just grew into being a a, you know a a child-sized old man yeah like in a world where everyone else looks like a human like everyone else has normal human proportions this guy doesn't worlds can really stunt your growth (laughs) yes yeah i got a question about that that. caffeine so like this movie clearly takes place like in some sort of contemporary time, right? Like you could say it's two thousands yeah. or something or twenty tens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it like is it ever confirmed or 
plainly shown that Wrath of the White Witch takes place in like middle of the century, like post-war era. Like the cars it, in the mundane world would fit with that. I think they're like 50s era cars. I don't know I, if it was. 50s. I don't want to pin it down that specifically. Yeah, it could have been 40s or 30s even. Sure, but enough that it would line up with this old guy. I think. Okay. Because so. you know, because you know, those baby boomers, their bodies are all sorts of fucked up. They were putting radiation in their toothpaste, mm. so. I have no doubts that contributed to his bizarre head shape. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But to keep pressing along here, the old man gives um, you his walking stick. His walking stick turns into a sword. The sword's still not quite enough to beat the bad guy. He does like wound him a little bit or something. Uh, uh, but he, he, Haru still gets knocked down. At some point, the princess gets put into peril again. Yeah. She's like kidnapped multiple times. But the important thing is, is that, um, after you gets knocked down for the second time or whatever, Haru manages to sneak up while the villain is distracted and get the finishing blow with the sword, proving that both Haru and Hugh are heroes worthy of this, you know, magical walking stick sword. Um, <laughs> so it's it's only a walking stick because they wanted to hide it from evil. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They I was did just clarifying that, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. the sword I was talking about. But but because moments earlier, the old man said, only heroes can wield this thing. Right. And even Haru is hero enough. Really weakening the definition of hero, if you ask me. <laughs> Can't have two heroes. <laughs> it's not the worst animated fight. It's it's, it's actually a sure. kind of an okay fight scene. Um, again, I, I think it... Falls we sort have of being definitely seen worse on this uh, on this podcast. Like other movies we've watched have been dizzying, confusing, and boring. I think what's bad about this one, though, is the as you've said, repeated need to have heel turns in the fight. There is like, oh, things are going this way. Hold on, nope, they're going this way. Hold on, nope, they're going this way. The number of times it happens makes the fight become boring over time. Because yeah. what what. The what the vizier wants to do now that he's in his like big demon form is that he just wants to drain uh Astrid of her powers. And there's a point where he just straight up's like, I'm gonna fly up in the air, and then he does that, and he's like, No, I'm in the air, you can't reach me. And then they do something to get him down or like to yeah. attack him from the air, but it's like it's <laughs> lots of everyone being sure this is the turn and then it's not. Um and it, it yeah, it, it diminishes itself by repeating like that. And uh, it also seems like, man, if you're capable of infiltrating the palace to the point where you're the king's advisor, couldn't you have just turned into a giant monster and gotten the princess at any point when it was yeah. like convenient? Like, or just the poison king and her. His, yeah. Like, I mean, so many opportunities. He did. He went to another universe to poison her. <laughs> but that's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's really stupid. It, it, it does make me like think back to how good the climax of final fantasy um the the crystal Legend chronicles of crystals was yeah or yeah, like that's what it is. That, yeah that climax built and built and also like the stakes felt like they were getting higher and higher but also the characters were having more interpersonal moments throughout that like yeah. all of the characters were relating to each other and that was like such a weirdly kind of like profoundly strong video game movie climax uh that uh, that that seemed like it almost rested on cliches but did it in a way that was like i don't know uh it, it still was character driven throughout the entire yeah. climax this is like the characters are only going through the motions of a jrpg slash like fantasy final fight well, because they can't be character driven if they don't have any character right like their characters yeah. are so minimally developed just to set up 
complications between them, and that's the only reason they have character. So let's get to the fun part, though, right? The, the bad guy's killed, and uh, we're realizing, oh, this is going to be one of the last times these boys can go back. And Hugh realizes something big. I think this is like the big final thing in the movie, right? Well, he doesn't realize it until he goes back, just to clarify. like He, he doesn't realize it until he, he steps in the portal. No, no, no. He like he like spends a couple days back home before he like puts oh, it together. Oh, Haru is the one who recognizes it. Right, right, right. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack just a step. They they have to go back through, and because so does his death like open a portal? Does the bad guy's death like how, like what happens? Like how do they get back? Is it the sword? I'm not sure, but the plot demanded it. Uh, so. Uh, Har, you is struggling because he wants to stay here with Astrid. This is like yeah. the perfect world for him. His legs work, and but they're like, <laughs> you're gonna die if you stay here. Like outsiders can't stay in there. This is just common knowledge. Everyone knows this. Which you I just want to say, that's a good like. That's a good like this Conflict. or that choice, right? Like yeah. you, you know, you have spent your entire life like paralyzed. You can live in this world where you where you have use of your legs and your best friend's girlfriend. It's free. And, yes, and you can yeah. date your best friend's girlfriend's clone. But you'll so, die. So like, they set up a couple eventually. things here. The whole reason that the portals were open in the first place is the villain sending the assassin through. So when uh, the villain dies, this is the last portal they're going to get. They're not going to be right, able to go back like and his forth. Magic, right. There's his magic was like maintaining the, the veil between the worlds or something. They some also nonsense. set up that if you are in the wrong world for too long, it damages your body, could possibly even kill you. So that's an even bigger choice is like all of the good things that come with staying, but also you might die by being here for you. Yeah. Yeah. For me. So, so for you, Dylan, you might die if you stay here. Ultimately, (laughs) don't I know you and Haru both step through the portal. And as they're walking hand in hand through the portal, he's like later dude. And, uh, he drops back (laughs) and he's like, I'm actually going to hang out here. Uh, and I was like, ah, shit. Uh, and it's a touching, touching farewell. Um, and he's like, well, my friend's going to die, but at least he gets to bang my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> at least we both get to bang my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and as Haru gets back to the other world, it, it seems like people are forgetting that you existed, right? Is that, is that, is that, is that yeah. what happens next? Because he wakes up in the hospital and because they like, this is post the car tumbling into the water and like you sister is fine. Uh, Cochina is also there coming to right. see him. Cancer's gone. She, right. she, she healed from the cancer. Yeah. And he is being discharged from the hospital. And he's like, where's you? What happened to you? And then they all start to, they're about to answer the question of like, oh, he's still like, he's still in the hospital. And then they all just forget. Like they immediately like, oh, who is that? Who are you talking about? Who is you? Who Who is you? And then we get, the reveal of who you is and who you is is me you is <laughs> yeah. me so what what we haven't mentioned is that saki Yu's sister was actually his adopted sister yeah that he didn't have a family because they were in a accident of some kind presumably a plane accident i think i think it's um, a bus yeah, or, that, yeah or bus okay some, some kind, kind of, of accident early on which he was found you was found and that wreckage his legs not working um so no parents no actual blood relatives in this world um because as haru slowly comes to realize you is me yeah you was me <laughs> you was never another person it was just the other side of his soul 
in the Nino Kuni world. It is it is a, a version of him, just like Katana is a version of uh, Astrid, and that is why they both like the same things. Like Katana and Astrid like oranges, and they both like Katana. Katana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Katana from Mortal Kombat came in. Here. Yeah, right. They both they always played Katana in Mortal Kombat, and it was like such a like, oh, dude, I don't want to be the blue one. You're gonna be the pink one. I want to be the pink one. <laughs> their favorite their favorite element is water, the element that brings life. Yeah. As Nick astutely pointed out earlier, uh, people in the crowd were like, oh, they fight like they're the same guy, the same soul. Exactly. They, yeah. they are the same guy. Right. Oh, anime. So, I, I like that twist. It's just so late in the movie where it's like, <sighs> I'm already checked out of this. I'm already done. Well, not <laughs> like, only that, is that they try to convince us that Haru, the dumbest person on the goddamn planet, is the one that sussed this out. It's like, no. Like, well, the, I wonder if having his like the smart side of him, right, like physically manifested next to him, made kind him of let him. Well, it like lets you outsource. You're like, well, he's me, and you know you don't know that, but you're like, he's so like me you that is we're going to differentiate. I'm going to be the one who's physical because, uh, because he handles all the thinking for us, you know, kind of thing. I think I think there's a lot of fun extrapolations you can make from that, but what ultimately doesn't matter is that it comes at the end of this boring movie <laughs> so like you don't want to proceed with it because you're just like i don't okay it's cool all right it's a good thing i guess yeah, i'm happy it's, for him it's, yeah <laughs> it's a movie that has some funny lines some good backdrops and some good ideas that aren't really delivered on and uh mo- the, the actual processing of the plot is really bland yeah D- two out of ten Knee, yeah. Two out of ten knees. I'm giving it two no teeny teeny. I'm giving it a no out of Nino Cooney. I wanted to get there before you stole it from me. (laughs) I heard you start to ramble through that. I was like, "Fuck, he's gonna figure out. (laughs) He's gonna get it. I should take my bit." Uh, Man, goddamn bit taker. I guess you're the you to my Haru today. Uh, Ah, what do you give it, Dylan? Uh, um, what's, your, what's your clever rating? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! On yeah, the spot. Beat that. <laughs> How many sour oranges? Oh, uh, that's a good one. That is a good one. I give it one sour out of two oranges. So a fifty, huh? Sure, fifty percent. If points only, don't matter. If only we knew earlier about puff puff from uh, from from Dragon Quest, we could be like, is this a puff puff or a no puff puff? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a binary. completely vague. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't puff this movie. No, no. I, I think it's it. if you're like a super Nino Cooney fan, uh, it might it might satisfy just like oh, it's more of that thing. But it might also be the opposite. It might be like they didn't do me right, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, and they didn't do you right either. Yeah. I can't think of like even Oliver's like minimal role in this was like such a felt like such an afterthought overall. Like yeah. it might as well have been added in like after they had already finished the storyboard or whatever. Right. Uh, and Oliver doesn't even mattered. come in with like familiars in the final fight. He's just there. Like if he came in and he like unleashed his familiar and it's like, Oh, nice payoff for the game. You know, like anything would have been cool. It, I, it just feels weak. Yeah. The, like the, for as cool as the backgrounds look the world wasn't really built at all like we got very very minor understanding of a conflict between two nations yeah um, i ended don't up being understand a really, really why they're cheesy you know villain reveal yeah. um just you know going back to what i said at the beginning 
some really cool like moments and stuff and uh, uh, one of the worst packages of a movie despite being like well animated in some regards still somehow worse than some of the fighting movies we've watched yeah i didn't hate it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna defend this movie it doesn't it's not hateable because there's not enough meat on the bones to like attack you know what i mean like i think the more i watch video game movies the more i hate the ones that are middling like yeah to some extent this almost raises my opinion of what had been traditionally my least favorite video game movie uh samurai whatever samurai showdown um, samurai showdown at least that movie was bonkers uh yeah this is like and it has interesting source material and it didn't use it at all i am shocked you brought up puff puff i'm shocked we didn't talk about dragon quest more because it's the other netflix jrpg movie that we recently watched and there's so many things that it does better when we talked you when you watched it uh you when we watched it you talked about how the side questiness of it like it starts to drag at points in dragon quest but in in comparison that seems so so much better yeah. because it it was tropey but it was kind of at least fun on all of its tropes it led to a number of character developments too yes. like relationship developments or personal character development exactly i mean there's th- that movie was about how, like, a pretty significant amount of like character change and i bet if you look it up the dragon quest movie was written by someone who didn't write jrpgs primarily oh that's a good let's, let's find it out <laughs> here's your attract mode trivia 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 i'm sure we said on the episode something about the writers because i tend to look that stuff up anyway the director for this movie uh nino kuni he has never uh directed any other major film so it's his first time like joe said the writer is the game writer so he's not got experience in tv or movies either so it's just kind of a lot of nothing what when did the the dragon quest movie come out uh earlier this year yeah so uh i just looked it up and uh takashi yamazaki is uh a film writer okay for dragon quest and a film writer and director and what what are is there anything we recognize or is it all like anime and stuff that we wouldn't know um there's some there's some that you I mean like lupin the third uh the first okay. which is a, a newer lupin but um uh i mean obviously that's a recognizable um uh, franchise but a lot of it is stuff that uh you know uh, uh oh he did space battleship yamato from 2009 or 2010 rather um and then you know a lot of foreign films um but either way my point is still that this is a guy who's who knows how to write something in a roughly two-hour block um and i think that was probably the worst thing about the the, the biggest downside to nino kuni was that yeah the script felt like a mess pl- pacing wise absolutely agree well, guys, are you ready to do another Netflix movie? Oh, no. <laughs> I swear, this is the last one for a while. This is okay. one I recently discovered that also came out this year. Um, Carmen Sandiego. Oh, right. Have you heard of her? I've, I've heard of her. Where in the world is she? Where in the world is Netflix? Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's on Netflix. She's on Netflix now. So this is the new rebooted Carmen Sandiego, the, exactly. the young teen hip uh, artifact stealing thief. I don't know if she's uh, a teen. She has teen friends. 
or teen like well then i hope she's a teen or that's weird (laughs) yeah i don't know i assumed it was a teenager uh just from what i've seen i've not watched the show at all so we're going in blind and i I always worry about that a little bit like sure am i going to be completely lost but also this is more than just a movie right yeah this is uh this is one of the bandersnatchers this is a bandersnatch situation (laughs) so it's a choose your own adventure netflix click to play kind of thing so we're going to watch together and experience that as as one unified viewing and call that our canonical version. Is that the plan? Uh, yeah, I'm down with that. Oh, I, okay. I, I was planning I, to watch my own version personally. I, I, You know what? I think we might have gone the other way and I just said the absolute <laughs> wrong lied. thing because I lied. forgot. I mean, also, I'm going to watch the whole TV series just so I can really know what's up. <laughs> are, are you? Yeah, I'm going to watch it all. That's a promise now. <laughs> wow. I look... I've looked forward to this so much more now <laughs> because you get to talk the whole time and I just kick back. Now that now that we have conscripted Joe to have watched at least a season or two of uh, an indeterminable quality Netflix television. I should probably find out how many seasons it is. I hope it's like six seasons <laughs> and you're just like, fuck. Carmen <laughs> San Diego. Let's see here. Two seasons. That's not too bad. Okay. The animation's good. I know that much. I like it. I like it. Um, it's it's kind of Kim Possible e. Oh, and the oh, movie is the movie to steal or not to steal. Yes. Yeah. Carmen San Diego colon to steal or not to steal. It is listed as thirty one minutes on Netflix. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty short. So yeah, this is this is not going to take long. Okay. Wait. Well, so once, once are, I t- give all the the t- c- TV series details, it's going to be a, a whole five hours. Right. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. So to clarify, are we or are we not going to watch it together? I guess we're not. Do, and I, I mean, if it's only mistake. 30 minutes, we could do both, honestly, pretty easily. Okay. Like have a shared viewing. One but viewing I, I think it's actually more one. interesting to have distinct viewings and then to come together and recognize what our differences were. If yeah. there are anything that's, that's I'm worth okay mentioning. with that. I just want to I want to make sure because like I don't I don't want it to devolve into be like all right well here's this bit of plot now what'd you do and what I do which sounds interesting but also like I don't know I just want to figure it out if only because I think a lot of these things tend to get to the same place anyhow I don't think it'll be too bad right you know? like the the decision diamond can only be so wide yeah in a in a thirty minute short and it, at the worst we could also kind of take take sequences like. Dylan reveals his story, then I do mine, then Nick does his, or something like that. Because well, 30 or if minutes. We did, if we did one shared viewing, like you just suggested, we have that as our baseline. And then we're like, so what's weird is I did a different thing. And you can highlight only those grand differences, but let otherwise play it out together. Well, we'll see what our decisions are next time on Attract Mode.